Welcome to CCO Podcast, calling college students to serve Jesus Christ with their entire lives. Um, well, welcome. Uh, my name is Stephanie Summers. I'm the CEO of the Center for Public Justice, uh, which is a Christian, independent, not partisan, civic education and public policy organization based in Washington, D.C. We work to equip citizens develop leaders, and shape policy through a variety of initiatives, and you can find out more about us later. We're really happy today to have this group with us, Um, but I want to ask you, before I introduce them, um, a question to which I expect a raise hand response. Um, Could you raise your hand if you love someone, uh, a friend or a family member, with whom you disagree politically? (laughs) Okay, pretty much everyone, a couple exceptions. Um, We're going to explore today a little bit about how we love across that difference um, and how we engage in meaningful and productive political conversations and steward our responsibilities as citizens who are Christians to not only vote this year, um, but to contribute to the well-being of our communities through our civic participation every day, not just one day every four years. Um, At Center for Public Justice, we believe that Christians, and especially young people, should be known for an engaged and hopeful civic presence. So you may have questions about what that means. We're going to unpack it. Um, You may have questions about how in the world you can do that. Uh, We're going to talk about that a little. Um, And we're going to talk about that in the context of our current political moment, um, not just in theory. Uh, We have three really fantastic panelists uh, with us today. Uh, They all embody an engaged and hopeful civic presence. They come from different places politically, and you'll hear that in our conversation. But each is a deeply committed Christian who believes that we can love our neighbors through politics and that we can do it in ways that are winsome and charitable. Um, So let me introduce them. Um, Furthest down is Caitlin Walsh-Shelton. She's a government contractor whose work centers on global women's health care. She has served in government for almost two years prior to her current role in the U.S. House of Representatives and in the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Caitlin is a graduate of Yale, where she earned her MAR, Master's of Arts in Religion, degree in Ethics from Yale's Divinity and Law School. And prior to graduate school, she completed a dual bachelor's degree in Literature and Christian Thought and Tradition at Union University in her hometown of Jackson, Tennessee. Uh, Hannah, I had a look where you're sitting. (laughs) (laughs) Hannah Wardell, uh, to her left. Uh, is a program associate in the Aspen Institute's Executive Leadership Seminars Program. Prior to working at the Aspen Institute, Hannah worked for the Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell as a Special Assistant to the Chief of Staff and Scheduling Assistant. Before that, she spent time at the Jack Kemp Foundation and the American Enterprise Institute. She's originally from Colorado Springs, Colorado, and she graduated from Gordon College in Wenham with a degree in political science. And to my right is Thierry Chenko, who currently serves as the Deputy Director of the Mayor's Office on African Affairs in Washington, D.C. Prior to his mayoral appointment, he spent time in the White House Office of Management and Budget. Thierry has also worked on numerous political campaigns. He earned his Master's in American Government at Georgetown in Washington, D.C., and he has an undergraduate degree from McMurray in Abilene, Texas, and Thierry was born and raised in Houston. 
All right. Um, we're going to do format today this week. Uh, we're going to answer a couple questions as the panel, and then we're going to answer as many of your questions as we can make fit in this short time. So there is probably a neon index card sitting near you somewhere. That's for your questions, uh, because what we find is sometimes uh, questions, you know, like there'll be five different ways one question is actually written. So write your question, and then we'll collect them, and then we'll be able to kind of group them together and ask uh, them, rather than like seven people having the same question and asking it seven different ways. Um, so just be thinking about um, your questions, if there's things that they say that spark additional questions. Um, and if you want the question to be answered by a specific panelist, um, I would say go ahead and note that as well. Okay, um, and last rule um, for questions, just please ask your question in the form of a question. Okay, so here we go. Um, to start, uh, could you each take a minute and talk about what brings you to this conversation about how to be a Christian in an election year? Could you tell us why the complicated subject of Christian political engagement is one that you care about? I guess I'll start. Um, hi, everyone. I'm Caitlin, and um, I, I have always been interested in politics because I've always considered um, public service to be missional, to be a type of mission field, and as Christians, we're taught to love our neighbors, and so um, one way of doing that is, is by serving in government, and you may think, oh, like, government, that's nasty, and people are terrible, and um, all of these bad things that you may hear um, from various sources, either on Twitter or on the news. Um, but politics is really just the way you interact with the world. And so when you think about how the church is called to, um, to love your, your neighbors, the church is inherently political. We interact in a society with other human beings, and we're called to love them and seek their good. And so, um, as Christians, we're called to be political. We're called to to seek the good of our neighbors. And so, that's um, that's how I became interested in government and politics. Then, like real government, national and federal level politics is is just about deciding the best way to seek the good of the nation and to seek the good of the community. And we disagree about a lot of things, right? Like, we disagree on which policies to enact and which ones are the best and which ones will best um, serve those around us. But I think that's ultimately a good thing. It's ultimately a good thing if we have Christians in both political parties disagreeing with each other, um, but also remembering that we're all seeking the good together. Um, so I love working in government, but I also love going back to the church and te teaching the church that we don't all have to um, agree on the same policies. In fact, we, we should be disagreeing with each other productively so that we can learn how to best seek the good of our neighbor. Mm. I'm Hannah, uh, and I'm from Colorado Springs, Colorado, which is kind of like evangelical Mecca. It's very white, uh, pretty middle class. I didn't really know that you could be a Christian who was a Democrat until I went to college, and then it was, like, shocking. <laughs> um, but I have always loved um, politics. I've always loved public life. Um, it's always been what's interesting to me. Um, but I didn't think that as, like, somebody who was a Christian and loved the church, that was a space where it was okay for me to 
um, pursue that interest. Um, and it wasn't until the summer before my senior year of high school uh, where I went to Girls State, which is kind of this like government camp that the American Legion does. Uh, and I just felt like I was thriving for the first time in my life, and I loved it. And I was like, I, this so clearly feels like how God made me to be interested in um, and to care about the world, like this way of caring about the world through institutions um, and living well in public. This can't be like not Christian. <laughs> like how, how do I reconcile this? And the next week I went to church camp, um, and on like come to Jesus night, as they call it, uh, they preached on Nehemiah and they were talking about Nehemiah as this like missional exercise. And I was reading it. And I was like, no, Nehemiah is about a bureaucrat. Nehemiah is about a public official doing a public works project, like building a wall. Um, like there is so much space for me here, um, to care about institutional love of neighbor, AKA politics. Like that's what it is. It's loving your neighbor in public, like Caitlin said. Um, and the Bible is full of it. And, uh, that has kind of then been my goal is to figure out what that means and how to do it. I went to Gordon, which is a Christian college, and I studied politics and spent a lot of time reading the people who have thought about this much more than I have um, to say, like, what does it mean to live in public well together as Christians? And um, why is it important that we do it? So for me, I would start um, first generation Cameroonian American. So my family's from Cameroon. And my passion for politics really started at, in 2000, uh, watching the returns of the election between George W. Bush and Al Gore. Um, and at the time, I didn't really understand the nuances of the American political system. But I thought it was neat that the country gets to have a say in who we want to be able to guide us for the next four years. And from there, um, in 2008, I ended up knocking on doors, making phone calls, and registering voters for Senator Obama's presidential election. And there I was able to get a better understanding of the political process um, and how important public service is to our country. Later that year, I became a believer. So at that point, now it was about how do I honor the Lord in all my work, including public service. So from there, um, I ended up going to grad school and now working in the mayor's office. Um, and being in an election year, um, you're really able to see um, the polarization in politics, especially in the church. And uh, there's a verse I want us to go to. Um, it's 1 Corinthians 10.31. Sorry, Colossians 3.23. <laughs> and it states, whatever you do, do it enthusiastically as something done for the Lord and not for man. And... Right now in our political climate, even within the church, when I see the rhetoric coming from a lot of Christians on both sides, it seems as if we are doing the work not for the Lord, but for man, or let me replace man for a political party. And that's really where my heart is right now in terms of Christian political engagement, is trying to do my best in my own community to ensure that um, my identity is not in my political party, but my identity is in the Lord. And that when people look at me, when people hear me, that they're able to see that. Thank you. Um, I'm going to give each of you a question. Uh, you know, as I mentioned, uh, CPJ believes that our faith calls us as Christians, especially Christian young adults, to be known for an engaged and hopeful civic presence. You're on this panel because 
people who work at CPJ, I think you embody this, uh, both in your work but also in your personal lives. So, Caitlin, I want to ask you, what does being engaged and hopeful look like practically, especially in an election year? Yeah, so um, I grew up in the Bible Belt South, a very conservative community, and then I got plopped into New Haven, Connecticut for graduate school at Yale Divinity School. And I grew up in this place where Christians could not conceive of anyone being a Christian and also being a Democrat. And then I was going to school in this place where people could, Christians could not conceive of someone being a Christian and also being a Republican. Um, And so I had to learn a way to stay engaged and hopeful in the midst of that feeling like, super overwhelmed, not really knowing where I fit in. I had to learn um, to prioritize what what is essential to my faith and what is essential to party politics or party platforms. Um, because I care more about what's essential to my faith, ultimately, than I care about what's essential to the Republican or Democratic Party platform. Yeah. Um, but it's hard living in communities um, if your community is relatively homogenous, which is not a bad thing. Um, it's hard sometimes to distinguish between those two things. Um, so, so that was one way that I, I had to learn um, to stay engaged and hopeful. But my first semester at Yale Divinity School was actually the the year that Trump won the election, and no one was no one thought that Trump was going to win the election. And I just remember my classmates, it was almost like, it really was like someone died on campus. Um, The campus was somber. It was gray because New Haven is always gray. Um, But it it was really difficult. People were crying. I mean, it was, people were deeply impacted. And I remember a friend who actually um, is from my hometown, but leans more to the left, politically speaking, um, she was a rare, a rare bird. <laughs> um, but I remember her saying, I'm just so frustrated because people are acting like Jesus isn't on his throne. And it, it reminded me that the best way to stay engaged and hopeful as a Christian in election year is to remember that Jesus is on his throne, that he was resurrect, resurrected and he's coming back to live with his people and to restore the world. And in the meantime, we don't get a free pass to watch the world burn. Um, we're called to to seek the good of our neighbor and of the world, and so we'll do that in politics. But no matter who the king is, we remember that, that Jesus is our king. Um, and, and that's something that, that may be hard to remember if your preferred candidate doesn't win the presidential election. Thank you. Um, Hannah, I want to turn to you. So it can feel really difficult sometimes impossible uh, to engage in political conversations, let alone deep friendships with people with whom we disagree, Um, especially if we characterize that person as being on the other side. Um, Why is it important not to other people with whom we disagree? Um, And could you talk a little bit about what you have found as kind of productive means for having political conversations where we don't just like skim over those differences, but instead meaningfully discuss them um, and seek to better understand each other? Yeah. Um, Yeah, so I come from a pretty polarized place professionally. I was in the majority leader's office, um, which is kind of like the captain of the team. (laughs) Um, And... 
Um, I think it really instilled and made me realize how deeply important as a Christian it is for me um, to be bipartisan and to realize that the image of God is not Republican and the image of God is not Democrat and that the image of God is in all of the pieces of um, that. And I have so much more in common with a Christian who is a Democrat than I do with um, a Republican who is not. That like Thierry sitting here who is a Democrat, who is like the first generation of an immigrant. I'm like a very white, always been American, suburban girl. Like we have so much more in common because we have the kingdom of God. Like we, that's incredible and it's beautiful and that should be important and I think we lose that um, in an age where we are told that our political affiliation is the most important thing about us. Um, and it, that does not mean or minimize that political things are important and that the issues that you care about are deep and they sit deep um, with your identity. And I don't want to minimize that by saying like, well, you guys are all Christians. You should get along. Um, but rather, no, you guys are all Christians. And that means that you can see the value in each other and you can listen better. Um, and you can be humble and you can recognize that maybe the person that you really deeply disagree with is representing a part of the image of God that you don't fully understand yet. Um, and that that is what the church is. And not only the church, but the fact that um, God is doing his work through people means that we learn from each other and we see different parts of him through that. And you can't do that if you're not engaging well with your neighbor and engaging well with people who like probably infuriate you and that you disagree with a lot. Um, One of the things that I've thought about lately, um, and Reinhold Niebuhr is an intellectual that I really love, and he talks about um, how nobody is like trying to do bad. (laughs) Like everyone is trying to do good and striving to do what they think is the best thing. Um, And so I think going in with the idea that like we're all trying to do good for society, like we're trying to find a common good. So how do we find common ground to do that? Um, And remembering that the people across from you are human. So one of my favorite examples of this is one of my closest friends in DC who I met through CBJ. Um, Her name is Maddie and she works for Dick Durbin, who is a Democrat in Democratic leadership. So like we both worked in the Capitol building for opposing teams but like the captains opposing teams. Um, But she is like the only reason that I survived my job in the Senate because she understood what was happening and we could talk through what we were encountering and how we should respond to it as Christians. Um, And I could sit and have her say, Hannah, like, I think that this thing that your boss is doing is really wrong. And this is why, like, what do you have to say about that? And I could say, like, I could defend it in places, but I also could become more critical of the person that I was working for. And remember, again, that my first love, first order is the cross and the church and Christ and then other things. Like, I don't even know if my party is should be the next one. Um, but I think having that relationship and having a human face that you love and that you're invested in your their life and you have dinner with them and you know about their parents, like, that changes the game. Um, there is so much less space for hatred when you have to like share a meal with a person um, when you are involved in their daily life and they get a cold and you are like, oh, you also get a cold. Like that sucks. Um, and I think that that's just those really practical friendships are ways that I have been humbled and humanized and I can't make strawmen anymore because I know the people who believe those things and they are not strawmen. They are flesh and blood. So thank you. Thank you. Um, So we've heard from two women who are working uh, at kind of the federal level. So I want to turn to Thierry, who um, is not working at the federal level. Some of us that 
um, live outside of D.C. tend to forget that, but D.C. is actually a federal district, but it is not the same as the federal government. Some of us are actually residents who live there. Um, (laughs) uh, So it's a presidential election year, right? And that's really important, and all eyes are going to be on that election. But so much stuff is happening at the local level. So why is thinking about local civic engagement important? And where would you tell college students to begin? I would say that local civic local civic engagement is important because it has the the highest impact on your life from a day to day perspective. Uh, when you look at state politics, when you look at national politics, um, those policies that are passed and implemented are important, but many times they take years um, to really get through. Whereas on the local level, your mayor or a bill that your council member passes, um, the effect of that could be that next week. Um, And I think that we lose sight of that so much because we're only thinking about politics at the national level. Um, And there's a saying that all politics is local. So even the national stuff, there are local implications in that. And where would, for a college student, where would I guide you if you want to get engaged? I would say your student government should be the first place you go to. Um, those are people that have a say in the direction that the campus goes. And I think that that's a good first place to start. And from there, um, your local councilman or your councilwoman of uh, being able to understand um, what are the needs and what are the important policy issues of the, your city, of your town. That's where I would um, recommend you to go first. All right. So uh, remember, I promised you we're going to ask your question. So this is going to be my last question for our panelists. So you can take this time if you haven't already written a question uh, do that and then Katie's going to come through and pick up the cards uh, for us okay so um, as students sort of reflect on what they've heard so far and consider their responsibilities as citizens in an election year and kind of the questions that are still in their minds um, what are some practical steps that students can take to become better informed about the candidates and their policies as well as their local level political issues Um, I think you can read and read things that might make you uncomfortable and that are different than the other things that you're reading. So um, I had a professor when I was in school who was like, everybody has biases. You just got to be aware of them so you can like counterbalance, right? So if you're like a normal New York Times reader and that's all you read, like read Fox News once a week. It might make you uncomfortable. Um, But it's worth balancing out your perspective so you can understand the breadth of not only what's happening, but how people are thinking about it and how they're talking about it. Um, I also have recently instituted the discipline of reading more instead of watching. Um, I think watching can become a very bombastic um, thing, especially in a polarized age. And so to take the time to slow down my process of engaging. Um, I think have a meal with somebody who's different than you and who disagrees with you and make that like a spiritual discipline. Um, and like, build, like try to intentionally work in ways to build friendships during this election year and talk about like, what do you think about these candidates and these things that are happening? Um, on a more process like government issue um, level, this is one of the best times ever to like get your congressman to do something for you or like actually like get things done as a constituent. So you guys are all constituents. You vote for somebody, their job is to like help you and represent you, which is like, I guess, understood. But um, 
I think the way people don't fully maximize their engagement, something I learned a lot working in Congress is that if you are like a constituent of a senator and you need something, they are going to do whatever they need to do to help you with that thing. And they might write you a letter and you can come back and be like, actually, no, like I need you to like call the State Department because I want help getting this password. And like they'll do it because they're your, you're their constituent. Um, so I think people spend a lot of time and energy like doing like big campaigns where you're like writing postcards to every congressman in Congress. That's not that's not really worth your energy. What's worth your energy is a directed effort at the person that you are voting for because they will listen to you. They will log your calls and they will respond if you call an office where you're not a constituent, they're not going to log your call. They don't have to. You're not their constituent. Um, so I think being smarter about the ways that you're politically engaging, especially in election year, where just because of the nature of it, they're going to be more on top of things because they know you're going to vote in November, and that means something. Um, so always happy to talk about the best strategy for your political engagement if you're ever interested in that. Um, but think about the ways that, like, this is a good time to call your congressman and your senator and say, these are the things that I care about. What are you doing? And how are you going to change it? Uh, because they're listening, and they will respond. Don't waste your time talking to people who aren't actually advocating for your interests. They have other people's interests to advocate for. And you should encourage your friends who are of their interests to advocate. Um, but this is a good time to do it. Yeah. I would say two things. First, Go to the candidate's website or go to that elected mm -hmm. official's website and read their policies. Yeah. Um, so many times you see candidates and you see elected officials that may say one thing on TV. They may say one thing in the interview. But then when you go to their website and read their policies, sometimes they're saying two completely different things. Mm -hmm. So I would say go to their website, read their policies, and if it's local, go visit their office and ask them for resources that could help you better understand the policies of that specific elected official. The second thing would be to follow good political minds mm -hmm. on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I think now some elected officials have Snapchat. How many people have Snapchat in here? Okay. <laughs> so Snapchat might be a good option too. Um, follow, them on, follow them on these social media outlets where they're it's a 24-hour news cycle now. So you're always getting news on what's going on. Um, and if you would like some names, please come to me after. I'm del I'd be delighted to just share some names, Republican and Democrat, mm -hmm. folks Christian and non-Christian. Um, and I think that it's important that we do both. Understand we're in the world, but we're not of it. But because we're in the world, we need to understand what our world is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so doing both, I think, would be great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I would say similar to Hannah, if you're watching or reading news, watch or read from sources that um, don't confirm your own biases. So if you are, if you lean more conservative, don't only watch Fox News. Watch CNN, because they'll have a more critical take on a lot of um, the political issues or policies that are being discussed. And they might bring up some really great points that maybe you haven't thought of. Um, same, if you, if you lean more um, liberal or progressive, watch Fox News from time to time. Mm -hmm. It might make you mad. <laughs> but it, it's better to know um, what other people are saying and what other people are thinking than just to live in a bubble where everyone agrees with you. 
um, and confirms your own your own biases. It's really dangerous to live in um, to live in a bubble where everyone thinks the exact same. Um, and so I, I would say that. But also, like similar to what Hannah said, um, learn how to call out the gossip. Mm. I, I've been really disheartened with. Um, me, I think media is really important and that democracy does die in darkness and Americans are really special for having freedom of speech. But also learn how to call out what is news and what is gossip. Mm. So if, if political pundits are commenting on maybe what people are wearing or um, going to their parents and asking their parents what they think about their child's policy in Congress, um, that, that's more like gossip and not news. So I would just learn how to, um, to separate out those two things in your head and um, ignore the gossip. Um, the other thing that I would say on a local level is I, my dad is involved in local politics. He is the highway superintendent in Madison County in Tennessee. Um, and so he went to the State of the City address. It was a very informal lunch. He took me with him, and it was really interesting because both mayors, the city and the county mayor, were there explaining um, all about what was going on in the city that year, what was coming down the pipeline for the year ahead, and they were talking about needs, the needs of the city. And one thing that I was really, um, one thing that I noticed that I was upset about was there were all kinds of community leaders there from all across the city but I didn't see very many pastors there. There weren't very many religious community leaders there at all, if any. Um, and that was disheartening to me because I, I, I know that the church cares about people, and I know because my church has a million different programs that they implement across the city, but sometimes it's, it's better rather than just implementing something you think is going to be good or you think that people need to listen to what the people have to say themselves and listen to what they say that they need. Um, listen to the mayors and listen to, to what they say the community is um, struggling with and um, ways in which you can be involved. So that's just a piece of advice on a local level. Yeah. And pray by name for your elected officials and their staffs. I think making a discipline of praying for politics and for your political leaders helps you integrate it into your faith. Just the act of doing it, I think, is really valuable. You guys have some great questions, and there's a lot of them, so we're <laughs> going to do as many as we can. Just lightning around. No, just kidding. We've got <laughs> half an hour. Um, do you have any advice on talking about politics with members of a close church community who don't feel like care or want to mm -hmm. talk about it? Yeah. Ooh. That's a good one. I think if you um, can find, I so my church in D.C. is wonderful and really good at engaging with this. My church back home in Colorado Springs, Colorado is not, and it's very stressful to me. Um, I think if you can find, um, it's been helpful for me at least, to find a more structured introduction to it. So like a book that you're like, hey, this is a semi-non-threatening book by somebody we can trust, like Russell Moore the president of the Southern Baptist Ethics and Religious Liberty Convention. Trustworthy source about maybe a little bit of an uncomfortable topic. Um, can we talk about this as a congregation? Um, CPJ has an awesome political discipleship curriculum. 
um, if suggesting like, hey, do you would it be okay if I led this political discipleship curriculum? And we talked about this as like one of our small group options this year. Um, I think that you have to be brave in some sense to bring this up, especially if people don't want to be talking about it. Um, I also think that it's something that you should talk to your pastor about and have a sit down. If this, if you care about this, um, you should sit down with your pastor and be like, Hey, what are we doing as a church for our community? Um, how are we talking about politics? What is your political theology as a pastor? What do you believe? Um, there it's part of their job. Churches exist in a city. They're a part of the community. Um, and so your pastor should be thinking about that and, it's part of your job in the church to flag it for them if they're not. Uh, so that's how I think what I would go about directing it, how I've been trying to do it with my church back home. Not to say that I'm super successful, but it's important. In Abilene, Texas, uh, I was going to church, went there for four years, and almost everybody in the church disagreed with me politically. And it was tough for me because I felt a certain way about certain issues and everybody else felt the opposite way. But something that was helpful for me was to be able to really say, look, the Bible is my foundation and I'm using this. Um, this is what I'm using and this is where these verses are taking me. And what happened, and it's funny because I look back now and I say, how much progress did I make? And if you would have asked me six weeks, whenever, six weeks after I moved out of Abilene, I would have said none. But when I think about it three to four years later, I would have said, it, it did a lot of good for me to endure in that. Because the progress isn't by convincing someone else that you're right. right? The progress is in saying, you know what? This is what I believe the Bible says. And I want to love my neighbor well. And I want to understand their belief. And at the same time, being able to share what I believe the gospel is calling me to as it pertains to these different areas. So in terms of concrete solutions, like I said, if I go back to Abilene today, I will get the same answers that I received four years ago. And that's okay. Um, when I go to Romans 14, I'll go to Romans 14 and I'll read um, verse 2 to 5. One believes he may eat anything, but one who is weak eats only vegetables. One who eats must not look down on one who does not eat, and one who does not eat must not criticize one who does, because God has accepted him. Who are you to criticize another household slave? Before the, his own Lord, he stands or falls, and stand he will, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person considers one day to be above another, Someone else considers every day to be the same. Each one must be fully convinced in, in his own mind. Whoever observes the day, observes it to the Lord. So the Bible is telling us that there's a difference in opinion is okay. But at the end of the day, what is it rooted in? Is that, a, is that opinion rooted in my own personal belief? Or is it rooted in the gospel? Okay. Thank you. Um, could you talk to uh, someone who asked this question? How does a moderate, I'm going to insert politically moderate, Christian, who doesn't want to align with a specific party, function in a polarized political climate? Man. Yeah, because I, I, I wanted to thoughts. say something about that earlier. Um, one of my favorite people to follow, his name is Michael Ware. Yeah. Yes. 
And um, he has, I think, a couple of really good books at this point. I know he has at least one, but he worked in the Obama White House in their faith-based office. So there are um, faith-based offices in each of the executive agencies that exist to ensure that faith-based organizations are not being overlooked in the grant-making process. And so he did that for the Obama administration. Um, And one of his um, really big points is that if we're going to make any progress in American politics, we have to be engaged in political parties. We can't pull ourselves out and, um, and expect to really get anything done. Now, I am a proponent of, if you don't like either of the candidates, vote for a third party. Vote independent. Vote, um, maybe campaign for a different candidate and try and convince other believers or other um, community members to vote for, for someone else because we can do that as Americans. But um, Michael Ware makes the point, he's a pro-life Democrat, and he makes the point that if we're going to actually make a difference, the way our politics is set up is we have a two-party politics. Mm-hmm. And whether the founders wanted it to be that way or not, it's what we've got at this point. And so he talks about how um, it's important to be involved in a political party to be deeply involved, but also to critique your own side. And I I just think that's brilliant. Um, I think a lot of the problem with our polarized politics today is we're critiquing the other side, um, and that's all we do. But if if we had people within our own parties saying, hmm, maybe we actually should think more deeply about immigration or guns or... um, you know, climate change or, you know, any number of things on the conservative side or maybe on the Democratic side. Maybe we should think about whether abortion really is good for women and whether it actually is a positive good um, in society. I think we'd have a lot better America than we currently have. Not that it's terrible. It's a wonderful country to live in. I work in global affairs and um, I must say that our our country is a wonderful country. Um, But I definitely think that being involved, even if you're a moderate, I would consider myself a moderate, but I'm involved in the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. Um, even though, as a Christian, I don't stand by every single party line. So, Yeah, so, Michael Ware, actually, I when I was making the decision to work in Mitch McConnell's office, I'm a very squishy conservative. Um, I would place myself firmly moderate. I was not registered as a Republican until I took this job, that job. Um, and I talked to Michael Ware about it because I was like, I don't know if I want to be branded as this. That's really scary to me. Um, I don't know if I firmly agree with everything that the Republican Party says. Um, I don't know if I want that to be on my resume for the rest of my life. Um, and Michael said a very similar thing that was basically like, you know, there are only two cloakrooms in the United States Senate. There is a Democratic cloakroom and a Republican cloakroom. The independents caucus with the Democrats as of right now. Um, if you want to do work in this field, in the Senate, um, you're going to have to pick a side. And maybe if you don't want to pick a side, then that means that you don't, then the work in the Senate isn't work, like, isn't for you. Um, and that is okay. There is so much space in this field to be a prophetic voice. Um, but being an independent right now is the same thing as being a prophetic voice, I think. Um, it's standing on the outside and speaking in. Um, and that is a different type of power than standing on the inside speaking. And so, like Caitlin said, I think I've focused a lot of my attention on how do I then improve the party from the 
inside and what is my responsibility as a Republican to say, no, I also care about the environment as a conservative. Like I do. We should be talking about this. Why are we not? Um, and having a spot inside of conservatism to do that, I think, has more of an effect than standing on the outside and saying it. Um, and I just completely lost my other train of thought. So I will leave it at that. But I, I know that it's a scary decision, but I think it's worth um, considering that there is a level of power that you have when you align yourself to a party that um, then gives you agency to speak into different places and change. Um, like, I think my favorite example of this is Mitt Romney. This is what I was going to say, and then I'll be done. Um, Mitt Romney, who is like as establishment as establishment gets, right? The man ran for president um, for the Republican Party. But because he is respected by the institution of the Republican Party, he has so much more say to push them to a more moderate position. And I saw this pretty clearly. Like, he has the ability to be like, no, I think that we should talk more about, like, paid family leave. Why aren't we doing this? Because he is respected as a Republican in the institution, and so the caucus will, like, listen to what he has to say um, way more than they would listen to somebody from the outside um, saying it. And so it's an interesting question of power, but I think aligning yourself with the party gives you more power. Uh, and I'm happy to talk more about it. It's complicated and not comfortable. So, uh, Two things, but the first one, um, as time passes, I'm starting to um, let go of the labels of moderate, conservative, or liberal um, attached to Republican or Democrats. <laughs> because um, <laughs> over the last 10 to 20 years, um, if you were to talk to a Democrat in the two th in 2000, um, I'm not sure that they would tell you could tell you where the Democratic Party would be right now in 2020. And the same thing for the Republican Party. People get elected. I mean, especially at the national level, it shifts where the policy goes for that specific for that specific party on any given policy issue. Um, but number two, I would say. Um, be OK with not making a difference in your party. And with that, I think the fundamental question with that is, what is your motive with being in a particular political party? Or what is your motive with wanting to be a public servant? What is your motive with wanting to be an elected official? Um, and I'm, it's not to say, I'm not asking you to not want to make a difference. I, I think us three, <laughs> we want to make a difference in our respective spaces. But if the primary and ultimate goal is to make a difference, then I think that we're going, I think, I think that we're missing the point. The goal should be to honor the Lord in the work that we're doing. And that may mean in that specific season that you're not making a difference, that no one is listening to you. <laughs> that if you're in a room of 100 people and they ask you a question that you are alone, on your policy preference. But you were, it, the intention was never to get the satisfaction or the approval of the people in that room. The intention it was never to get the approval of that political party. It was to say, you know what? This is where the gospel is calling me to, and I'm going to rest here. Mm -hmm. Wins or losses? Your questions are so awesome. So I'll just apologize up front because we're not going to get to all of them, and they're great. Um, so next question. Um, how can we as Christians respond lovingly to those who are convinced that our 
individual political beliefs are opposed to Christian teaching? Mm. <laughs> Pray for them. Pray for you. Um, as somebody who, like, dude, tons of people think that the person that I worked for is evil <laughs> um, and that me working for him is evil. That, like, weighs really heavy on me. Um, so I don't have a great answer. But I think pray. I pray a lot for the ability to respond with grace and to prove them wrong because of it. So that, like, through my and I don't think I do this well all the time, but through my ability to be a gracious conservative who worked for Mitch McConnell, I think that that, like, slowly changes the perspective of some of the, like, raging liberal people that I now work with um, to be able to be like, oh, wait, she is charitable, and she cares about X, Y, and Z, and she's loved me well. And so maybe I was wrong about this, like, polarized thing. I think um, personal relationships Mm -hmm. are the way. And you... Also, I think as Christians, we have an endurance for handling people being mean to us because like, and I'm not like, persecution isn't the word I'm thinking, but the idea that like, no, like we can handle it and that's okay. We are playing the long game. Like Tara said, like, we know how this works out. We know who's on the throne. Um, This is about like, how can I be a faithful witness and um, know when to stand by the things that you believe are deeply true and know when to be, to change the conversation and to talk about something else yeah I had a friend in graduate school who um, thought just about the exact opposite on every single policy issue than I did and um, and he was gay and he is gay and I I just I'm really good friends with him and I remember one night we had our um, our Christmas party and and he, he came up to me, and he gave me a hug, and he was like, you are Southern Baptist. I'm actually now Anglican. <laughs> um, still consider myself Southern Baptist as well, though. He said, you are Southern Baptist, and yet you love me. And that was really, um, really encouraging for me because he, he knew that I loved him, and I, and I did. Um, but the only way that he knew that was because I had a, a relationship with him. We were friends. Um, and people on Facebook or Twitter, that, that's really not the place to hash out complex political or spiritual mm-hmm. issues. Um, he knew that, that I thought something different about, um, about what Christianity calls us to sexually. And... Um, and yet he still knew that I loved him. And, and that's a really sti- sticky topic, especially um, politically speaking. And I know that the church is even divided on that. Um, but that was something that you can still love people. And even if people accuse you of being unloving, um, you can still choose to love people. So I dealt with this. Um, at one of the churches that I used to attend. Uh, it's in a different city than the city I currently live in now. But I went to go work on a political campaign, and I came back, and one of my friends told me, man, people in the church were asking me if you were still a Christian. I said, if I'm still a Christian? Then <laughs> I was like, like, well, with the, with, the, with the political party that you were working for and the candidate you were working for, 
uh, I mean, they're really worried for you. They're worried for your soul. <laughs> and I was like, wow. Um, but in that, uh, and I had to fight with some bitterness for a while because I was like, how is it that because of the political party that I work for, my salvation is being questioned? And I really had to date, and I struggled with this for a while, so I, I, even today, I don't have the perfect answer. But I really had to lean into the word and say, you know what, Lord? Allow me to love my neighbors well, even whenever they question my love for you. Mm-hmm. And that's, um, some, that, that's, a, that's a reality, right? Because there's some people that you're going to talk to, and they may never believe, they, they may always believe that what you believe politically is just against Christian teaching. Right. Um, but I would say love them well and let your life speak for itself. Right. And continue on building those relationships and never get tired of having the conversation. Right. There were times where I was like, you know what, I'm done with this. <laughs> there are times where I felt, you know, I don't even want to go to church on Sundays anymore. Right. Uh, but luckily there were people in my life that encouraged me and said, you know what, Thierry, this is something that you need to continue on pursuing. Um, so I would say endure. Um, and if you're able to get to a place where people change their minds, then great. But if not, continue on enduring and let your life speak for itself. This is our last question. Um, the premise of political elections seems to be, like at least in part, kind of a selfish one. Right? Um, we as constituents look for representatives for our own interests. What about being a Christian challenges that premise? So we were actually talking about this a little bit earlier. Um, I pretty firmly believe that after you make the decision to become a Christian, that means that you no longer vote in your own interest. You vote in the interest of your neighbors and of your community. Um, And there's like a whole lot of scholarship on this. If you really want to dive into this, (laughs) I would be happy to tell you who you can read. Um, But I think that uh, as Christians, that fundamentally informs our understanding of what justice means. Um, And it means that we advocate for our neighbor and it is no longer just me. It's not about my taxes. It's about um, everyone else around me and what they need. And we live in a society. I think American liberalism will tell you that you are an individual stop, full stop. Um, And I think that as Christians, we say, wait, we are individuals and we're made in the image of God and we interact with him one-to-one. Um, but then the next phrase out of our mouth is, but we love our neighbor and we exist in community. Um, and that that changes how you vote. And it should, it's, there's plenty of practical examples, but I think it's just this reframing um, of like, well, what does it mean then when you go into the voting booth that that then affect, that affects your neighbors, decisions that you make affect your neighbors. On a local level, I think that's huge. Um, like the school board, I don't have children. (laughs) Um, like I don't, I'm like a single 20 something in the city, but like I get to vote for the school board. And so how do I love my neighbors who are children who I go to church with and babysit and they go to public schools? How do, what does it mean to love them? Well, because I'm voting and that is a responsibility. Um, so I think it changes, it's changed pretty fundamentally the way that I think about, um, engaging and advocating for more than just myself. I don't really have anything to add to that. <laughs> yeah. um, I would just take us to Philippians 2, verse 4. 
and it says, everyone should look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Mm -hmm. And that applies in public service and politics as well. Yeah. Amen. You guys were so succinct. We get one more. Bonus round. <laughs> Woo! Um, how can Christians come to the table to discuss important issues with people who don't share our faith when our views are heavily guided by our understanding of the Christian faith yeah. and our values? Um, and then kind of where's the line when it comes to compromise? Um, John Anazu is an author mm-hmm. who, if you have not read, you should. Uh, he wrote a book called Confident Pluralism, which is kind of my guidebook on a lot of these type of things about engaging with people who are different. Um, I think an important thing to remember, um, once again, is that we are all seeking the common good as we understand it. And um, trusting that in someone else and also the image of God in them. If somebody is not a Christian, they are still made in the image of God. Full stop. That's important. Um, I think that it's easy to not believe that because we're not engaging with them on that level, but they are still made in the image of God. Um, and remembering that and trying to love your neighbor. And it's going to be more uncomfortable, period. I think I have become more and more realistic about the level of uncomfortability that being in these conversations is, but I think that it is an uncomfortability that is traded for growth and intimacy that is completely worth it. Um, so I don't, I think that's probably all I have. Invite somebody to a meal that isn't a Christian that's not like you. I think we evangelize by the way that we um, treat each other in public. So these things go hand in hand. Uh, Confident Pluralism, John Anazu. So um, one thing that we believe as Christians is that, that the world is the Lord's and everything in it. Um, and so if God tells us that something is good, then it, it, it's going to look good in society. The stats are probably going to line up with what God says is good. And if they don't, then there's probably some, some issues with, people gathering data. And I think the same is for goes for philosophy, that there are all kinds of people philosophizing about the way the world works and how humans interact. Um, and they say a lot of great things. I think Christianity tells a bigger story. So I say all that to say that if you are interacting with people of different faiths or no faith at all, it's not useful for us to point to the Bible and say, if we're in a political realm, to point to the Bible and say, well, my faith tells me X, so therefore, because that's not an argument they're going to recognize because they don't hold the Bible as authoritative like we do. Um, now, if we're in a spiritual setting or we're, we're um, sharing the gospel with people, that's a different story. We, we can share scripture with people if we are if we are trying to um to bring them into the kingdom of god that's that's different but if we're having a political conversation it might just turn people off to say well this is what the bible says um but i do think that you can make arguments about policies and look to the world and say it seems like this is a good thing and it seems like, given all of this evidence, you can make a case from just the world around you without having to point to a Bible verse. Um, and that's kind of a hard thing to do, 
but it's a really good thing to do and can actually be productive for deciding on policies with people who are of different faiths or no faith at all. I'm going to focus on the second piece to that question, on compromise. And I would say that answer is going to be different person by person, policy by policy. Um, as we read in Romans 14, um, there is a difference of opinion is okay. Right? And so for one person, you may think, you know what, I can go... I can almost meet the person almost where they're at. And for someone else, they may believe, you know what, I can only go 40% of the way and I'm done. And that's okay. So it's about really understanding and under, having a good understanding of what you believe and what you think and, a, and then say, okay, where is the wiggle room here? Right? And then at some point saying, okay, this is where I stop. And it's okay to stop at a certain point and say, you know what, I'm not going past this. But it's also okay to say, you know what? I, can, I don't have a conviction on this. I can give a little bit more than what I intended to give, right? If I believe that it's not going against the gospel. All right. Thanks so much for your great questions. Couple things. Um, there's a contact card on your chair, so not the neon card, but the one that has CPJ's logo on it. We'd love to stay in touch with you if you want to stay in touch with us. We're best able to do that if you give us an email that doesn't go away when you graduate. Um, I want to just draw your attention to two things on that card. One is resources for practicing Christian citizenship. Um, If you're interested in putting any of what you heard today into practice, check that box. um, And someone will follow up with you about this small group curriculum that um, Hannah mentioned, political discipleship. So you can take a look at it. It equips a group. You can use it in your CCO group. You can use it in your church Um, that would be a helpful tool for you. Um, We have a booth over uh, in the exhibitor hall. Um, We have internships, uh, we have research prizes, and we have a bunch of ways to get involved with our work for young adults. Um, Katie Thompson, who's collecting the cards, uh, leads our work with young adults called Shared Justice. Um, And we'll stick around up front for a few minutes. Uh, If you felt like you need to ask another question, come on up and talk to these people. So can we give them uh, a round of applause for their conversation?